0: chapter 7 tonight verse number 31 is where we'll begin we continue our series the healer of the broken now we have talked uh, uh, over several lessons over several sermons I think about eight now and then last week we did take a little break from it I even believe the week before we did Palm Sunday and then last week we did uh, uh, uh about the gospel and and the resurrection and so and really it was about the champion of love if you remember that right but so this week we're getting back into our series mark chapter 7 verse 31 we'll only read a few verses so i ask that you would uh, fasten your attention on what the bible has to say tonight the bible says in verse 31 of mark chapter 7 and again departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon He came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf, and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude, and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit, and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. And saith unto him, Ephphathah, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. What a miracle! Verse 36. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. And we're beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Tonight I want to offer you a solution to the problem in your life. I don't know what your problem is. There can be a, a duplicitous amounts of problems. It can be just any number of problems. I don't know what it is. But I offer you a solution. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, tonight we ask that you would bless the scripture. We pray that you would bless the sermon. Lord, I pray that you would use this worthless vessel to honor you this evening through your preaching of your word. Lord, I don't want to do anything to dishonor you. I don't want to distract anyone from the word of God. I don't want to uh, confuse anyone tonight. I want to preach authoritatively what's in your word. So, Father, I pray that you would give me guidance. And your unction, Lord, I pray that you would help me and give me wisdom and discretion as we preach tonight. I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Now, I offer you a solution, but the world offers you many solutions as well. You know, they've always got something. I mean, if you have a problem, there's always a quick fix, is there not? Today I was unwinding my water hose, trying to water my yard. And you know, the world has a quick fix for that. It's that little pocket hose that scrunches up to fit in your wallet. There's always a quick fix method to, uh, to make things happen. There's always a solution. Well, maybe you don't know this, but in British Columbia, they're now facing a tremendous problem with wolves. And really, even into the Upper Peninsula, they call it the Uper in uh, Michigan. That's kind of annoying, though, because they say it kind of nasally, like, you know, Yankees, whatever. But they say up in the Uper, and they're having wolf problems. And the thing about wolves is, and we've talked about this before, once wolves start hunting, they don't stop until it's dead. Even a lion will give up. Even a cheetah who can run over 60 miles an hour will give up if the animal beats it. Not wolves. As a pack of wolves, they continue to hunt until what they are hunting is dead. And in British Columbia, they're having this problem. They're killing their cattle. They're gilding their deer. They're killing all the animals that are there. So one day, a town decided to call a town meeting and even to bring in experts to find out how they could best handle this problem. So there were farmers there. There was an expert. uh, uh, And there were just concerned citizens at this meeting willing to offer input but willing to listen to what the experts had to say. A lady steps up to the podium, and she begins to list her credentials. She's an environmentalist. She's an expert. She understands zoology and all those types of things. And she begins to speak, and she says, I have the solution. So every farmer in the room, every just concerned citizen opened up their ears and was willing to listen to the solution that the expert had. Vasectomy is the answer, she said. Simply trap the wolves humanely, neuter the males, and release them. One grizzled old sheep farmer rose to his feet said, Ma'am, no disrespect meant seeing you're an expert, but them wolves is killing my sheep, not trying to breed them. You see, there are solutions, is there not? The world offers us a number of solutions. Whatever the problem, there's a solution. You say, uh, I'm having difficulties with my children. Oh, the world has plenty of solutions for that. Oh, just stick them in a corner. Oh, just, just, just encourage them. Only motivate them. Don't tear them down. I know the times when I wanted to act the most right was when my daddy just tore my rear end down, if you know what I mean. And... And the world offers all these solutions, and yet, I just don't think that's what the Lord would have us to do. You know what I've noticed in my brief years of being a Christian and walking with the Lord is that Jesus' solution is always the best one. It's always the best one, and usually, it's the most simple. Tonight, all I want to talk to you about is the difference in the solution of Jesus the difference in the solution of Jesus. Look here in the Bible in verse 32. I want you to notice that there is absolutely nothing out of his control. Nothing. The Bible says they sailed to Decapolis and now in verse 32 and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had adip- impediment in his speech and they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. You know why they brought him to Jesus? because they didn't have the answers in themselves. You know why they brought him to Jesus? Because the doctors didn't have the answer. You know why they brought him to Jesus? Because they were out of hope. This world's out of hope. And to be honest with you, they're just giving us the same old answers that don't work any longer. The Lord has the answers and there's simply nothing out of His control. And to be honest with you, it really doesn't matter the nature of your problem. It's not out of His control. You see, so far in this series, we've spoken about several different types of uh, infirmity, several different types of things that people came to the Lord needing uh, healing, needing help with. Some of them were unto death. If you remember, the woman with the issue of blood comes to Jesus knowing full well. The doctors had no ability to help her. She had spent all of her money trying to be healed of the infirmity, and yet Jesus had the answer. Not only was it in that case, but Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter, who at the time was dead. And Jesus walks into the room and says, why are you all mourning? She's not dead. She's just asleep. And even as big as that problem of just a little girl being dead, even as big as that is to us, you know how big of a deal it is to Jesus? Hey, wake up. Hey, get up. For my mama, you know, throwing a cold, water, uh, a cold bucket of water on my face to get me up in the morning. It's not a big deal for Jesus. Some of the problems have been just minor inconveniences. You say, what do you mean, Brother Andrew? I mean, they were problems that people could live with but they were inconvenient. I recall dozens of times so far that the Lord has healed blinded eyes and and has healed deaf ears and and even uh, demons that were in people, the Lord has cast them out. And you say, well, uh, being blind or being deaf is not a minor convenience. It is when the Lord's involved. You know, just minor inconveniences. And there's even times when the Lord is willing to work for people who are just uncomfortable. I recall when the 5,000 were just a little hungry. And the Lord was moved with compassion on the multitude because they hadn't eaten. Now, was anybody going to die from hunger that night? I doubt it. They had only been following a very short time. But that's how good our Lord is. He even answers our problems when they're just small inconveniences. It doesn't matter the nature of your problem, the Lord has the answer, and it's not too much for Him to handle. But you know what I think sometimes we do? We assume it's too small to bother Him with it. But you know what the Bible says? It says that we're not to concern ourselves with the things of tomorrow. Because sufficient is the evil uh, of today, uh, the things of tomorrow will take care of themselves. Uh, God will give you grace for those problems. So the Bible saying, don't worry about those problems. But does anybody find themselves worrying about those problems that come tomorrow? I know I do all the time. So how do we fix it? I believe it's when the Lord says, casting all your cares upon Him, because He careth for your soul." Now, in the Greek, the word all means all. Sometimes we try muddying the water. Sometimes we make our Bible so deep and so intellectual that nobody can understand it when it just takes childlike faith to understand the Word of God. I was reading the other day, our word, the King James Version of the Bible takes a 6th to 10th grade education to fully understand it. Sometimes it's like we think you need to be a rocket scientist or some deep theologian to understand it. No, you just need to be a kid. You just need to take the Bible for what it says. And when the Bible says, cast all your care upon Him, it's saying, cast the things that you worry about on Him. Throw those things that you say, I don't want to bother the Lord with it. You know what the Bible says? He ever liveth to make intercession for us. You mean to tell me that Christ is seated at the right hand of God, living, waiting for me to bother Him with problems so that He can help me with them? That's what Hebrews tells us. There's no problem too small. I don't care the nature of your problem. It's not out of His control. Not only should we notice the nature of the problem, but look at the number of this man's problems. Now, he's deaf. He can't hear, and there's several times so far that we've noticed people come with him or come to the Lord with uh, several demons or or several uh, 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 problems. But this man had was deaf, and as a direct result of him being deaf, he had a speech impediment. I don't know if you've ever heard someone who uh, has not heard the English language spoken, but they talk differently because they've never heard the way words are pronounced. And that's no fault of their own. They have an issue that leads to another issue. And that was the case for this poor gentleman. He had an issue that led to another issue. Oh, man, I I just believe that sometimes we get ourselves into messes because we make a mess, and then we get ourselves into a deeper mess because we got ourselves into the last mess. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I've been there several times. It's like I make one bad decision, here comes another bad decision. Before I know it, I'm buried under a mountain of my own mistakes. But I don't care how many problems you need to lay down at the throne of God tonight. God's willing to listen to them all. God's willing to hear them all. Cast all your care upon Him, for He careth for your soul you I'm thankful that my in-laws have come into town this week. Uh, They came to specifically see me. They don't care much about their daughter or even their granddaughter. Um, (laughs) Wow, you just lied, so I expect you to be at this altar this evening. I'm thankful that they came in. In preparations for them coming in, my wife and I tried straightening up the house, and you know, it was a little different now because we just moved into our house—not just a few months ago—and so we've kind of been doing the living and tripping over boxes thing. And maybe you've been in that same situation where, you know, you don't want to move the boxes because at the day you move the boxes, you realize that you're going to have to get something out of that box, and so you just kind of leave them everywhere. And before you know it, you're sitting on boxes and you're using them as drink holders, and it's just a bad deal all around. But In preparation for them coming, my wife decided to clean the house, and I decided to help her, which was a big deal, because usually I don't help her clean the house. So, give me applause. Thank you. No, I'm just kidding. So, we decided to clean the house, to get the property in better shape than it was, because, you know, the the guys that were working on the house, they kind of made our yard a, a, a mess, And we ordered about, I think we have 13 windows in our house, and so my wife and I ordered 13 sets of blinds, and I had to hang 13 sets of blinds. Now, my life is pretty busy going from work at church to uh, going to baseball practice to going to a youth activity to having to go counsel some little brat for talking back to their parents, you know, just youth director issues. And so we're pretty busy, so basically what I've been doing is hanging one set of blinds at a time. Now, I started this a couple weeks ago, and I've got it down pretty expedited to where I can hang a set of blinds, you know, seven minutes to eight minutes is about what it takes me. I've got my little template there where I make my marks, where i got it down, Uh, I, I figured it out, so in preparation, I tried getting all the blinds up, but came time to go get them at the airport, and I was four blinds short. So basically, they had to get dressed without a blind on their window. <laughs> Not a big deal. And so I didn't quite get it all ready, but there was a little comfort in knowing that he was, my father-in-law was coming in because you know what? He's really good at do-it-yourself stuff. And even stuff that I don't consider do-it-yourself, he does it himself, like, his car breaks down, and he's under the hood. I'm like, isn't that a mechanic's job? That's what, they, that's what they learn to do. You know, when you need someone saved, come to a preacher. When you need a car fixed, go to a mechanic. And he's over there under the hood. And so he's a do-it-yourselfer. So as he come into town, I, I realized, you know, maybe this isn't the worst thing. I'm four blinds short. I've got a youth activity to go to. I've got two baseball games I've got to go to. I'm a little busy, so, hey, we'll just see what he can do. So me and him tag-teamed it, and we got through, and we've hung all but one, two sets, which will be done by this evening, hopefully. (laughs) And so we worked together. We got it done. Over this weekend, uh, you know, the rain that was going to be a torrential downpour that the weatherman predicted, you know, the weatherman and the government are the only two people that can be wrong and stay employed. And uh, and so the weatherman this morning, oh, we're gonna have rain at three o'clock in the morning. Okay, all right. So I, I gotta get a yard. You know, tires have been tearing up my my yard out there. So where every everywhere is grass, right there in my front yard, where where it should be pretty, it's just dirt. Some people buy sandboxes, but this was just dirt. And so uh, I kind of got to think. My father-in-law's in town. And he's a do-it-yourselfer. How much you know about planting seeds, Dad? And so me and him, over the past uh, two days, Friday and Saturday, we got on tractors, we bought fertilizer, we bought seed, we bought spreaders, we bought everything to get it done. And, and you know what would have taken me about uh, the first half of the tribulation to do? We knocked it out in about five hours, I'd say. He helped me. And you know what? I didn't feel bad about asking him to do it. You say, that sounds rude. No, he loves it. You know why? Because he's helping his daughter where his husband's a loser. (laughs) Baby, I'll have to do this because your son doesn't know what, uh, your husband doesn't know what he's doing. No, He loves doing things for us. It doesn't matter if I have to hang blinds, plant seed, or do anything, He's willing to help. But our Heavenly Father's no different. It doesn't matter how small the problem, He wants to help. He wants to do good things for His children. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more would your Heavenly Father be able to give good gifts to them who love Him? Oh, why do we fret about taking our small little inconveniences to Him? There's nothing out of His control, no matter how big or how small. Sometimes we just don't take the time to take it to Him. There's nothing out of His control. But secondly, tonight, I want you to notice, there is nothing like his care. In verse 33, I want you to notice this. There's nothing like his care. The Bible says in verse 33, and he took him aside from the multitude. Now there were several times in the ministry of the Lord where he would perform miracles in front of people, in front of great crowds even, sometimes multitudes. He would perform a miracle. There was even a time when he was in the middle of a great multitude and a miracle was performed almost inadvertently or unintentionally by the Lord. But right in front of everybody, he kneels down to speak to the lady that touched the edge of his garment. And so sometimes the Lord did perform miracles in front of everybody. But there was something about this man's miracle that the Lord took him off by himself. He took him off to the side and cared for him specifically. Look at verse 33. He took him aside from the multitude and he put his finger into his ears. And he spit and he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Eph that is, be open. You know, there's a lot of people who use the word care or love or concern very loosely. But there's one who didn't use it loosely when he said, I love you. Because he did it when he demonstrated his, he gave his son and he demonstrated his love to us on the cross at Calvary. He said, for God so loved the world. There's nothing like the Lord's care. There's nobody who's ever loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And the Lord did that for us. There's nothing like his care. I want you to notice about this man's miracle. The Lord had a personal touch. The Lord takes this man who can't hear and has a speech impediment. Somehow the Lord gets his attention. I don't know if it was by motioning him. I don't know if it was by communicating to his friends and then his friends kind of helping the man along. But if you would allow me the liberty, you know what I think the Lord did? He took him by the hand or put his arm around him and escorted him over by himself. And even if he didn't do that, the Lord took time to touch this man. He had a personal touch. You know, every miracle that we've covered so far have just been a little bit different every single time. They all show their beautiful characteristics that separate them from the other miracles. I mean, this isn't the only deaf man that Jesus heals, but he's the only one he heals like this. You know, Jesus heals tons of lepers, but it's unique how the Lord takes time to make each one of them special. You know the reason you, with your problem, need to go to the Lord? Because the Lord has a special plan for you. He has a story He wants you to be able to tell. Maybe He wants you to be able to encourage someone later on in life that says... Hey, I've gone through what you've gone through, and this is how the Lord helped me. He'll do the same for you. And I promise you, when, the Lord, when you take your prayer to the Lord, He hears you specifically and wants to help you specially. Oh, yeah, He took this man away from everyone else. And sometimes it's almost like we feel like God is too busy for us. But I really think the flip side of that is sometimes we're too busy for God because the Bible has already told us tonight that He ever liveth to make intercession for us, sometimes we get the idea He's too busy, when sometimes I think we are the ones who are too busy ourselves. Christ has compassion on the multitude, but He imparts His touch on an individual basis. You know, there's a lot of people that have had to retreat or go by themselves in order to get the touch of the Lord on their life, Oh, several men throughout the Old Testament. Moses had to go to the backside of the desert just uh, herding some sheep to get the hand of the Lord and for the Lord to speak to him through a burning bush. Daniel uh, or David had to be in a cave on retreat from King Saul, on retreat from his own son. David had to uh, come apart from everyone so that the Lord could speak to him. John the Baptist in the wilderness dressed like a lunatic, eating weird things. The Lord used him when he was by himself. Paul even retreated. Jonah found his touch in the belly of a whale. Even when God's punishment was upon Jonah, God used it to touch Jonah and encourage Jonah and strengthen Jonah. You never know when God is going to use a time apart to encourage you. Daniel was in exile from his homeland and had to be faithful to his Lord every single day and eventually was cast into the lion's den. How many were there? Just Daniel. By himself. One night in the lion's den. And that's where the Lord touched him. See, often it feels like we get lonely in our trial, doesn't it? it feels like we're, we're, we're kind of the only ones that care. We're kind of the only ones that even even realize that we're in this. Sometimes... We even feel that other people are judging us because of our problem. And can I say it's at the time when you feel the loneliest that maybe the Lord's wanting to touch you. This man was not healed in front of the crowds. There was nobody there to to see this miracle. But the Lord escorted him by himself and touched him privately. Can I ask you a question? How much private time are you having with the Lord? Say, oh, Brother Andrew, back to the devotion talk. No, I'm just saying, if God gives his touch in private, if you never find yourself alone with God, how are you going to receive his touch? One day, a, a pregnant wife woke up her husband in the middle of the night and calmly told him that, hey, honey, I think it's time. We need to go to the hospital. So the husband, you know, frantically grabbed his keys, grabbed the bag, grabbed the briefcase, looked back at his wife and hurriedly said, If you're going with me, you better hurry up. Could that baby have been delivered without that woman being present? No, just like we can't have the touch of God on our lives without the Lord being present. See, God's touch comes from spending time with God. All these men retreated alone. This man was escorted alone so that God could touch him. Oh, I I want to encourage you tonight. The Lord has a personal touch for your personal problem. But Every once in a while we might have to get alone with Him for us to understand that. Not only did He have a personal touch, He had a painful reaction. Look in verse 34. Now this is the Lord that has the painful reaction. The the, the man comes to Jesus in verse 34, and Jesus, looking up to heaven, he sighed. Now, isn't that a strange thing for the Lord to do? How many times do you sigh out of excitement? Your child come home, Dad, Dad, I made an A on my, on my spelling test today. That's not a reaction of excitement, is it? How many times do you say, Honey, 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 I got a promotion at work. We're going to be making double what we made before. That's when you slap your wife. It's permitted. No, when you sigh, you're, you're hurt. You're, you're saddened. You're, you're disappointed even. So why would the Lord, in the face of this man, look up to heaven and go? Can I say it's because Jesus saw the results of sin on this man's life? say, what do you mean? I mean Jesus created this world with no death. Jesus created this world with no disease. There was no problems in this world when God created this world. That's why God was able to look back at the world, and on the seventh day he was able to rest, knowing that what he had done was good, because God doesn't do anything bad. So I would not say being deaf or being uh, with a speech impediment is good. And so I have to say, this was the result of sin on this man's life. And the reason the Lord looked up to heaven is because this man was hurting in front of Jesus. And Jesus, almost in compassion, almost in in frustration, looks up to the Father and just says, This is what sin's done. This is what sin has done to my children. It's hurt them, it's given them disease, it's broken them, it's it's made them where they're not whole anymore. I didn't create them like this, but sin has done this to them. But notice that Jesus continues the miracle through the effects of sin. Let me encourage you tonight. There is no doubt people in this room who have sin in their life or struggle with the depression of knowing they've done things wrong. You have trouble forgiving yourself, or you've not sought forgiveness. You know what Jesus says to you tonight? Because He wants to do a miracle. He wants to do a miracle for you. And the thing that you've messed up with, the thing that you've done wrong, the thing that you say, if anybody knew, they would, not, they would just judge me. If you are that person, the Lord looks at you with compassion tonight, wanting to personally touch you and say and do a personal miracle for you. See, the Lord doesn't want His children to live under the effects of sin. God, Jesus came to give us life abundantly. Living in sin is no life abundant. It's life depressed. It's life grieving. It's life sorrowful. So the Lord looks at you tonight and says... Not only was there a personal touch and a painful reaction, but look, thirdly, he had a plain solution. You know, this is why I say oftentimes our world gives us solutions, and sometimes it almost seems confusing, and often we read the Bible, and it's like, well, what does God mean when he says that? Sometimes it's just as simple as this. Look in verse 34. And looking up to heaven, he sighed, and saith unto him, F. Fatha, that is, be opened. Be opened. Just that simple. Just two words. Just the, the voice of our Lord having power over everything, having authority over all. Just two words is all it took. Be opened. Just a very plain solution. I was looking today. Have you all ever heard of the franchise of books called uh, Doing Something for Dummies? You can fill it in. You can pretty much do whatever you want. But uh, there is a book for dummies about everything. I was looking today, and I I found some ones that I thought were kind of comical. How about creative writing for dummies? I don't think that's really a good field for a dummy to get into. I think if they're, needing to be, if they're needing to read a book about being creative, probably, probably they're not going to be that creative once they're done with the book. I thought that was pretty comical. Uh, creative writing for dummies. I saw quantum physics for dummies. Oh, there's a good topic to read up on. Quantum physics for dummies. And these books are very in length, depending on what your topic is. They have things like Cats for Dummies. Miss Ada, I'm going to get you that book later this and this month. You don't need Oh, you already have it? Okay. <laughs> you know, they have simple topics. They have uh, uh, large topics. Biochemistry for Dummies, I saw today. Maybe not the best idea for a dummy to get in that. Maybe would you like fries with that for dummies? That would probably be a better book for a dummy to read. You know, our world offers solutions. Our world offers uh, uh, problem-solving books and notions that will help you uh, uh, get to where you need to go. All you got to do is pay me this. Even a televangelist, oh, do you have a problem? Friend, do you have a problem this evening? Oh, you have a problem this evening? Buy this hanky, $29.99. It will be in your mail. Everybody has solutions, but there's none as good as the Lord. And I promise you this, the Lord's solutions are often much more simple than we think they are. Because for this man, the Lord took him apart and touched his ear and touched his tongue, and he said two words, be opened." problem solved, at the word of my Lord, the dumb speak, the blind see, and the deaf hear. And I promise you, your problem vanishes at the word of my Oh, if we just trust Him. He has a very plain solution. Thirdly tonight, moving onward, we're almost done. I want you to notice, there is nothing like His charge. Now we've noticed there is nothing like His care. There is nothing out of His control. But there's nothing like His charge. Look here in verse 36. And He charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm ignorant this evening. I understand when the Bible says he charged them, it means he encouraged them not to do something. So it's saying he encouraged them not to spread the word around about what just happened. I understand that. But does it not sound like to you this man left on a mountaintop? Does it not sound like to you this man was overjoyed, overzealed, over abundantly happy about all that had taken place? And I know the Bible saying the Lord encouraged him not to do something, but when you spend time with the Lord, just inadvertently, you're encouraged to do some things. This man was encouraged; he was excited. And I promise you, the Lord's charge will always bring excitement. You know why when I go to a church and I never hear someone say amen, I'm worried? It's because when you're with the Lord, excitement follows. Could you imagine being on the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, uh noticing what's going on being around the lord as what was on the inside great definition i love your sermon what was on the inside of jesus came on the outside of jesus and that is as true as it gets the mount of transfiguration looking at our lord fully revealed not veiled at all but god in the flesh being revealed and peter's there peter doesn't know what to say he's almost dumbfounded and the one guy who's never at a loss for words is at a loss for words and so it's almost like peter makes something up and he says it's good for us to be here guys it is good for us to be here peter goes on let's Let's build a temple for Elias. Let's build a temple for Moses. And then Jesus will build one for you. You know, Peter may not have gone about it theologically correct, but you know why I think he did that? He was just so excited to be there. I mean, he saw Christ, he saw him high and lifted up. He saw the glory of God on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter says, Whoa! Sit in church. Oh, victory in Jesus. We don't resemble Peter. Could you imagine being there at the day of Pentecost? When things are going on, Peter stands up to preach. And the Spirit of God descends so thick. You ever heard the term, you could cut it with a knife? I think you could have cut the Spirit of God with a knife. Don't take that too far, theologically, okay? I think you see what I'm saying. The Spirit of God just came down. And that day, 3,000 souls were baptized Could you imagine being there? I think as this guy was able to understand what this guy was able to say, and they were all speaking a heavenly language, they were all speaking, and it was all encouraged by the Holy Spirit of God, I believe we might have said, it's good for us to be here. How excited are you you're here tonight? How excited are you that the blood still saves how excited are you, there sinner? There's no sinner too far gone for the blood of Christ. How exciting is it? Because I just believe that when you're with the Lord, Jehovah-Jireh, there will be some excitement. There will be some happiness about it. The reason I'm concerned when I go to Baptist churches and they sit back there just as still as six-year-old cheese nips I just worry about him because that's not the God I serve. And I hope that we know we have a God of excitement. There is someone who heard the story of Eugene Ormandy. He was a Hungarian uh, conductor and violinist, and for a while he conducted an orchestra. And this man heard of how aggressively and how vigorously Eugene would would lead his orchestra that one day he dislocated his shoulder while leading his orchestra. The man said about this, I was impressed several years ago when I read that Eugene Ormandy dislocated a shoulder while directing the Philadelphia Orchestra. I do not know what they were playing, but he was giving all of himself to it. And I have asked myself, sadly, did I ever dislocate anything, even a necktie? Have you ever dislocated anything for the Lord? Maybe I'm not talking about in your joint, but I'm just saying, has there ever been a time in your life where you were so excited about teaching your little boy Sunday school class Or you were so excited that your daughter came up to you and said, Daddy, how do you get saved? Or or, or, was there ever a time in your life where, where God just so clearly and vividly moved you that you just said, wow. Because that's our God. And we have a walk of enthusiasm, an abundant life. That's the God I serve. And this man was directly charged by our Lord not to tell And I only believe, almost like Peter of old, he said, How can I yet but not speak the things which I have seen and heard? How can I not speak the things? Lord, I'm not trying to disrespect you. Lord, I'm not trying to be mean. Lord, I'm not trying to disobey. But Lord, I've never been able to speak like this. And the only thing that I can say is, Jesus did it for me. I just wonder if you've ever been that excited about it not, I'd really question, how valid is your relationship? How real is the touch of God on your life? Well, it's just a, it's an exciting life we live. It's an exciting walk we have. Not only will his charge bring excitement, but notice this, his charm brings enchantment. Verse 37, I want you to notice and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. You know, I believe this. Jesus' solution is often simple, but it's always amazing. It's always amazing. You see this man, everybody that saw this miracle take place, everybody around, they all in unison sing the song, He hath done all things well, and they were astonished. But you know this is not the first time that astonishment or amazement followed our Lord. Mark chapter 1 verse 27, Jesus rebukes an unclean spirit one of the very first miracles he performed the bible says they were all amazed the bible says in mark chapter 5 verse 42 that the people were filled with amazement with the lord called jairus's daughter back from the dead mark chapter 6 verse 51 the disciples were astounded when the lord was able to calm the winds and calm the seas You see, amazement, astonishment, that follows my Lord. Mark chapter 2, verse 12, the man born of four was let down through the roof. Everybody says, we have never seen it on this fashion. We've never seen anything like it. It's just better than it's ever been. It's just different than it's ever been. This is amazing. God wants to do for you, I promise you, will leave you nothing but astonished. The answer to your problem, I promise you, will leave you nothing but amazed, because that's what my God does. In my life, I've seen a few amazing things. I remember going to California one year and believe, I don't want to say that, I don't know. But I remember we were on our way to California, and the Grand Canyon was just a little bit uh, off the way there. I think it was about a two-hour detour, and none of my family had ever seen the Grand Canyon, and so uh, we decided to go ahead and make the trip up there. And we got to the Grand Canyon, and it's hard to explain. You've never seen a picture that does it justice. It's bigger than you can imagine, and it's by far prettier than you can imagine. You say, what's pretty about rocks? I don't know. Go see it for yourself. But as I stood there on the other side of the safety fence, Mom didn't like that very much, (laughs) I stood there, and as the sun was getting low, that orange sun turned that valley, that canyon, burning red. Every rock glowed. The, the the river that scientists claim cut the canyon out the river looked like a, a someone spit it's tiny you you can't even imagine it looks smaller than just the smallest little stream of water and and yet you're standing thousands of feet above it looking down saying this is amazing you know my God did that We were in Colorado one year and We had been given the opportunity to go elk hunting. And you you guys know me. You all know I love the outdoors. You know I love... And honestly, this might sound silly. I don't love killing things. I love the outdoors. I love the animals that I pursue. Uh, 99% of the time, I don't ever fire a shot. Sometimes I go to the woods without the intention of ever pulling a trigger. I just want to see nature. I was in Colorado, and I remember one morning... uh, we had messed up a couple hunts, and, and there's about 400 elk in this herd. And you don't maybe know this, but there's one herd bull, and almost always the herd bull is going to be the biggest because he's the biggest to defend the herd. He's able to fight off the other bulls. Now, all the other bulls there in a, in a herd of 400 elk, there's going to be really big bulls, but he is going to be magnificent. And I remember sneaking up this little drainage ditch. I remember having my gun, you know, trying to be all stealthy. And we get up, and I remember it was about 30 degrees outside. You know, you can see your breath. And we got like 90 yards from the herd bull. And he was chasing a cow elk. And a cow or a bull elk is over 1,000 pounds. It's like a horse with horns. They've got a beautiful tan hide, almost golden. And they're, they're uh, I'm going to call it a mane, but it's not. It's from their head down. It's, they've got longer hair, but it's a dark, rich brown. So you've got this brown that just flows into the golden color on the backside. And and, and, and I remember watching these gi- giant uh, antlers Chase this cow elk, and I remember it was so cold, you could see your breath, but you could see his too. And every step he took, you saw the, <gasps> 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 and I remember he sat there and he, and he bugled one time. <clears throat> and we we're about, I don't know, less than a hundred yards from him, and, and I just sat there in awe, and I couldn't even really do anything, because it was one of the most beautiful sights. It was one of the most amazing sights I had ever seen in my life. That bull doesn't exist without my God. It was not seven months ago now. I remember standing in a hospital room. And you know, I was excited about the birth of my daughter. But, you know, first time, you don't really know what to expect. And everybody always told me stories. Oh, it'll be awesome. It sounds kind of gross to me. I remember being in that room. I remember the doctor being in there and holding up my daughter for the first time. I remember her crying. And something that should be so sorrowful was the most exciting thing I've ever seen. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. I'm a little bit like Peter in the fact that I'm very rare without words, and yet the doctor's like, take pictures, take pictures, not I tell the doctor, just let me soak this in. That was amazing. Without my God, that doesn't happen. You see, what I'm trying to emphasize to you tonight is, my God works in the amazing. And the reason his solution is always better is because it's always amazing. Even sometimes when it's not what we want, it's always astonishing. I don't know what your problem is. I don't know what your issue, what the thing hurting you in your life is. But I know my God, and I know whatever he has for you.